I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19, 19 through 22. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You ever get caught by surprise sometimes? I just glanced up at that last song and thought, oh, the church is one foundation. I know that one. And I didn't know that one. <laughs> Jim, that's an unfamiliar tune to me. My wife and I just kind of looked at each other and said, huh, I've never sung that one before. Interesting. I'm glad to have you here this evening. We're glad that you've uh, chosen to join us this evening and uh, to be a part of our worship service. It's been a great day, as I mentioned, and I uh, hope it is that you've enjoyed it. going to hopefully keep this lesson brief just for a little bit and uh, give you some things to think about as we close the day out. Ever since the very beginning when mankind has discovered the fact that he could fashion materials uh, to float on water and to then use those materials to travel from one place to the next, men have tried to make their ships seaworthy. And in fact, they've tried to make them so seaworthy that they have, well, at one time, they thought that they had made an unsinkable ship. It's kind of interesting to me that the first time that they call a ship, it's absolutely unsinkable. There's nothing that they could sink it. It's almost like uh, something was there to say, oh, yeah, you really think that? And then next thing you know, it's on the bottom of the Atlantic. The, the, the Titanic is probably the most uh, obvious example of that, that not all ships, well, are unsinkable. The sermon this evening, three great ships on which Christians travel. You see, there's ships that God has intended for all of us to be a part of, and there's things that our God has made through his divine wisdom and counsel through Jesus Christ to be able to sail the seas, as it were, or float through um, the storms of this life and to be, well, literally unsinkable if it is that we continue in them. And as we as Christians traverse the oceans of this life, as Carrie prayed just a little while ago, and we realize that we're in a hostile world, a world that's growing increasingly more hostile to Christians, what is it that's going to keep us afloat? I've got three ships, three passages for you to consider briefly this evening. The very first ship of a Christian that we sail on, or on which we sail, to be grammatically correct, is number one, discipleship. Open up your Bible, please, to Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 26. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. From the very first time that Jesus appears on the scene after his uh, baptism, after his temptation in the wilderness, you might remember that one of the very first things he did was he went and he called men to follow him. When you start with Jesus walking beside the seashore and seeing Peter and his brother Andrew cleaning their nets, you remember what his command to them was, as you follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He went a little bit further down the beach and he found James and John and said something similar to them. He went and found Matthew sitting beside a, in a tax collector's office and he said, Matthew, follow me. 
God's command, Jesus' command, is that we be followers. We become disciples of His. Pupils, students, learners, all of those are synonymous for the word that Jesus wants to characterize you and me. Note the characteristics here in Luke chapter 9 of the characteristics of discipleship that he says that are need to be necessary whenever it is that we are following him faithfully. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and his, uh, and his fathers and of the holy angels. As Jesus talks about the rules for discipleship, as it were, denying self, meaning I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not seek number one, not seek what's best for my own interest, Taking up my cross, you're talking about taking up an instrument of torture and pain and hardship and then following faithfully in the steps of Jesus who bore that cross ahead of us. That's not an easy call. That's not something easy that we take up. And those of us that have been New Testament Christians for a while, we know the burden of the cross that we bear. We know the difficulty that being a Christian is going to bring. But here's the other thing. It's not just about taking that cross and following Jesus. But you remember the last thing, one of the last things that he commanded his disciples before he left this earth. They're in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations. We have not only the obligation to grow in our relationship to Jesus every day, but we also have the obligation to go and share the news about Jesus every day to make a difference in the lives of those people that we contact on a daily basis, whether that be our friends, whether that be our family members, whether that be our co-workers, whether that be the acquaintances that we have, whether that be the people that we meet time and time again as we go in the same bank and talk to the same teller week after week or year after year. We have a responsibility to, to make disciples, to say you need to be a pupil, a student, a follower of Jesus. Because as we mentioned this morning, he is indispensable. Word number two, the second ship that Christians sail on or on which Christians sail is the ship of fellowship. Fellowship. The passage that's up here is a good one, but we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the second passage I'd like for you to turn to in your Bible. It is on the day that the church began... It is on the day that after Peter preached that great sermon that we have recorded there in Acts chapter 2, all about Jesus is the Christ, how God had it in his mind what exactly he was going to do with Jesus, and those men who took those lawless hands and had him nailed to the cross, those men now had an opportunity to have forgiveness of the sins that they committed. They now have the opportunity for reconciliation with God the Father, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But note as that initial 3,000 people about thereof uh, initially made the gospel what it says about these Christians take a look at verse 42 through 47 of Acts chapter 2 the Bible says that after they were converted they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and in fellowship 
in the breaking of bread and the prayers. Then great fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, and as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I don't think you find a better picture of what true fellowship is than what you find right here at the conclusion of Acts chapter 2. And if the curtain was to close and we weren't to be told anything else, you've got pretty much a happy ending. Except for the fact that that togetherness that's going to be part and characterize these people of the way, as it was so often called, was going to become more and more necessary, especially as persecutions and difficulties began to be ramping up. In fact, folks, you look at through the book, New Testament book of history, that is the book of Acts, and just about every time that you see Christians, whenever there's a crisis moment, you know what they're doing? They're together. They're talking about it. They're praying about it. They're fasting about it. They're trying to come up with an understanding and, and find out what the will of the Lord is in each one of those circumstances. Togetherness. See, the word fellowship is misused sometimes. We just term a fellowship meal and we talk about a potluck where we get together and we can sit down and we socialize with the same people that we sit at at the same table every single time. And we talk about the weather and we talk about the Texans, we talk about the Astros, we talk about all those things. But brothers and sisters, true fellowship is much more than that. It's about rejoicing and sharing in the fact that we're all a part of the same family. It's about talking about the work of that family in a positive way. Can you imagine these Christians here? And I wonder what these daily interactions were like about them gathering together in somebody's house and saying, all right, tomorrow we're going to go meet at Jim's house or tomorrow we're going to go meet at George's house and, and, and then we're going to fellowship and spend time there together. I wonder if any one of them ever said, you know what? There's a whole lot of problems with this church. Well, we get that way sometimes and we begin to cast blame and try and, uh, try and instigate a, a gossip session or something like that. But I don't imagine that's exactly what we're reading here in Acts chapter 2. Can you imagine that one of the topics of conversation that continually came up was the greatness of Jesus and the wonderful gift that God had given us through him and how it was that even though I may have been one of the ones that were crying out, give us Barabbas, crucify him. Can you imagine that a person like that would have a true appreciation for what God had done for them and talking about that and the greatness of the God we serve, fellowship. Third great ship on which Christians travel, is worship. Worship. Turn over in your Bible, please, to John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. John 4, verses 23 and 24. Doug Thompson read from this passage this morning in preparing our minds for worship. And as we understand the context that he's sitting there beside the well and visiting with the woman at the well who was a Samaritan who uh, thought it extremely uh, inappropriate that a Jew was visiting with her. And as they go through the motions and Jesus uh, turns the conversation, she tries to turn it back away from the fact that she's had five husbands. The man she was living with wasn't her husband. And she begins to ask questions about worship. And she said, now, wait a minute. Our fathers told us that here in this, in this place, Mount Gerizim, was maybe the place that, that our ancestors worshipped. Is this right? You Jews say down there at Jerusalem is a place that you ought to worship. 
Jesus corrects her thinking. In verses 23 and 24, he says, Woman, I tell you the truth. The hour is now coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus says there's coming a time, and it's this time, when it is that it's not going to matter the place where it is that you gather for worship. It's not going to matter because God is looking for those people that are sincere in what they're doing. It's not going to be Mount Gerizim. It's not going to be Jerusalem. But it's going to be where his people are. That they can lift up the praises of God. Where they can join together in song. And they can join together in prayers. And they can spend time drawing near to God in this very special sense. And brothers and sisters, don't we need this in our lives? True biblical worship is refreshing. It's a wonderful experience because we gather together with the greatest people in the world, as we mentioned this morning, and we spend time with them lifting up the common hope that we have. What it is that we ought to fellowship about is also what it is that we ought to worship or who it is that we ought to worship. And we spend time in times like this drawing near to one another and reminding ourselves that every single day we live for Him and we live for the hope that he's given us. But we gather together and worship in a special time like this to be able to say, thank you. Be able to say, I adore you. Lord, you are so much more precious than silver. Lord, you're so much more costly than gold. Lord, you're more beautiful than diamonds and nothing I desire compares with you. Application briefly. They say, never let a good deed go unnoticed. And brothers and sisters, all of these things have been a joy of mine this weekend. Every single one of them have been something that I've treasured, and I hope it is that you've been able to be a part of and treasure as well this weekend. You see, it's about discipleship, about deepening our relationship and our commitment to Jesus Christ. And when we disciple, when, when it is that we're committed followers, it is that we're also wanting to go out and make disciples. There were a group of 50 to 60 of us that gathered yesterday morning and had an opportunity to go out and reach the community around us. And you know what? As people began to come back, it was wonderful because, you know, what began to happen in those times was fellowship. We began to talk to one another about the streets that we went down the road and canvassed. And you know what those conversations went like? Oh, yeah, we had some, some interesting responses. We had some that just didn't answer the door. I didn't have, personally, anybody that was rude to me. And that's kind of a change from the last time I went door knocking a, a, a while back. And it kind of shows to me that it's kind of changing as far as that goes because as people grow more and more disconnected, you know what happens is they're looking for more and more human connections. And most of the people I talked to were glad that I knocked on the door. But as we brought these stories back and said, no, 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 I had this one person that came and they said, oh, yeah, I know exactly where it is. In fact, I know this person, this person, this person. And I've been praying that somebody would come and talk to me about, about my soul. I was praying that somebody would come and offer a prayer on behalf of my daughter or my sister who's sick. man I talked to said, how often do y'all celebrate communion? I said, we do it every week. 
I've been looking for a place that celebrates communion every single week. He said, because a lot of places today just want to try and do it one time or two times a year. And as I was bringing those stories back and talking to people, you know what we're doing is we're sharing great news and, and positives about the work that's going on. And that's what I imagine there in Acts chapter 2, that all these people and wanting to understand how they can be deeper, more committed disciples are excited about the work of the church, the sharing, the communion, the fellowship that goes on. But then as we gather together today for worship, and as Troy hit the downbeat of hallelujah, praise Jehovah this morning, many of y'all smiling because you knew just then this was going to be an uplifting and an encouraging time where it is that God's people can gather together and we could sing out his praises in the presence of people who may have never heard a cappella singing before in person. Church, you are to be commended for your work. And even if it is, I know there were some of you that invited lots of different people and they didn't come at all. You know what? That's not a failure. That's not a failure. You keep at it. You keep working on those people. But we have every reason to be optimistic. Church, let's never neglect our own growth and discipleship, our own communion and fellowship, and our own joy in worship. God bless you this week. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.